Hey, what's up, Life Point Church? How you guys doing today? Are you glad you came to church, everybody? On this rainy Sunday here in Clarksville, we're so glad to be with you today. And I want to say a big welcome to all of you. My name is Mike, my wife Stephanie Burnett, and I. We are so honored to serve as pastors here with our team. And thank you for being a part of our service. Shout out quickly to everyone who is joining us for the very first time, joining us online on our online campus, as well as at our Austin P State University campus. Uh, we want to say welcome to all of our guests and our, our campuses. Can we say what's up, everybody? Come on, one more time. Just say welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, as you heard earlier, our river baptisms are postponed one week because of the rain, the high f- uh, flow and fast flow of the water. We didn't want to baptize and lose someone in the same event. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's a little tragic. Uh, also, don't forget this Wednesday night is our night of worship. Come on with Israel Houghton, 630. Cannot wait for that. You better get here early. I got a feeling this place is going to be full, full, full. As I do every week, I just want to say thanks for being a generous church. We are a church who believes in tithing and giving offerings to the Lord, and we do that through our local church. Let me just tell you, the latest offering you guys gave, about $120,000 to our One Day to Feed the World offering, so thank you for that. On behalf of kids all over the world, thank you for that. I do want to challenge you, if LifePoint Church is your home church, if you are fed here, your family's connected here, I want to challenge you to step out in obedience to the Lord and become a regular tither and a giver as the Lord directs you beyond that. We believe what the Bible says, right, everybody? Let's try that again, please. It's, the series is called The Bible Says. We believe what the Bible says, right, everybody? Jesus, Jesus is quoted as saying, it is better to give than to receive. That means it's better to be a giver. I've never met a grumpy, generous person. Have you? I mean, nobody hates that. You might, you might wrestle with it or struggle with it, but it's always better to be a giver than a taker. So no matter how you give uh, to your church and through your church, just know it's a blessing to do it and God loves it. Hey, we are in week four of our series, The Bible Says, and my prayers, it's been a great series for you. I wanna encourage everyone, find a way right now to take notes. You're gonna need to take notes on this message. For some of you, you've never heard a sermon on this topic before, but we're in a series called The Bible Says. We're asking questions, what does the Bible say about? The first week we started, what does the Bible say about the Bible? And in order to do a Bible Says series, we have to establish some common ground, that we believe the Bible, that we can trust the Bible, that it's authoritative, it's a living word, come on somebody, and it is uh, God's word for us, directing us how to believe and how to live our lives, right everyone? And then the second week, we said, what does the Bible say about Jesus? As, As we look at the scripture, we look at Jesus, God the Son, the eternal one present at creation. He is the Alpha and Omega, fully human, which means he, he came into our, our experience as humans. He fully understands grief, struggle, temptation, but he's also fully God, which means he's overcome it all. And because he overcame it, we can overcome the sin and temptation that he's defeated once for all. He is the only way to heaven. He's the only way to God. He's the only one who died for the sins of the whole world. There's no plan, second plan. There's no sequel. There's no another version coming. Uh, it was the free gift of God of salvation that we receive and thus submit our lives G- daily to Jesus Christ. He is the anchor point of our lives, the centerpiece of our faith, the cornerstone of everything that we focus our lives around. He is our King, our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Man, I was about to preach that sermon all over again. Did y'all see that? I love me some Jesus Christ. Last week, Pastor Herbert crushed it with a sermon, what does the Bible say about the the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that's Herbert Cooper on the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Y'all get up here and preach three times in a row. You try it. Anyway, Pastor Herbert Cooper preached a great word, what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? What a, wow, man, I just, I got to hear that sermon four times Couldn't get enough of it. We love God, the Holy Spirit. He's eternal. He's not weird. He's not JV. Man, wasn't that great to hear? 
He is fully God. He is alive on the inside of us. He fills us, empowers us, equips us to do the work of God. Today, we're asking the question, somewhat in follow-up to last week, but what does the Bible say about spiritual warfare? What does the Bible say about spiritual warfare? Now, to be candid, uh, this is already a term that some of you are just kind of, what in the world, where is this coming from? Uh, Many of us don't even use this language or terminology, but I'm going to tell you right now, every single one of you are engaged, have engaged, or will engage in spiritual warfare, and I want to teach you what it is, who your enemy is, and how to have victory and walk in victory and not be defeated, because I believe you have a 100% success rate if you understand uh, who you are in Christ and that our our enemy is defeated. But when I use the word spiritual war, I'm already preaching. See, I'm ready. Where's my amen crowd at today? I just need to know if y'all are awake. The term spiritual warfare, to be candid, does not appear in the Bible, right? A lot of words that we use aren't necessarily in the Bible, like Facebook. But um, the term is not there, but the concept sure is. And it's something you and I need to know about and be strong in and and, and, uh, capable in as followers of Christ. So let me start by saying this. The big idea of warfare in general, right? The big idea of warfare, it's understood as engagement between two or more parties in conflict, in battle, in war. It's fighting, it's, it's, it's conflict, it's tension. And we see human warfare, cyber warfare, spiritual warfare, warfare between your kids. Come on, right? The idea, how many of y'all had warfare driving to church this morning? Bless God. So the idea of warfare is basically the engagement of two or more parties who are in conflict or in battle and war in their fighting. Many of you soldiers are very familiar with the concept of warfare. You understand strategy and movement and enemies and who's the protagonist, the antagonist. You understand weaponry. So warfare is not a foreign concept, but spiritual warfare is, for a lot of Christians, a very foreign concept. So I want to teach you on that today. Couples go through warfare. Families go through warfare. Companies go through warfare. Nations warfare against other nations or sometimes even nations, civil warfare among themselves. But the idea of spiritual warfare is something you need to know about. It's something you need to be equipped to understand. And this is just the beginning of a conversation on this. Honestly, we could do an entire series on spiritual warfare but specifically because you and I are spiritual people. We're spiritual beings. We are body, soul, and spirit. Remember, we are made in the image of God. We are created and and, and gifted by God with a body, with a soul, with a spirit. Many of us think a lot in the flesh. We think about, well, that's just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hurt because I got injured. We don't think of that injury as a spiritual attack or, or we think in the mind and emotions of a soul person. We're just gonna logically rationalize things and think our way through things. But you are a spiritual being and there is conflict in the spirit world. And if you don't know this about your Bible, saddle up because I'm about to teach you some really powerful things. First of all, you need to understand God and all of his people have one primary enemy. God and his people have an enemy. Now, for many of you, you never think in terms like this. You don't think what's happening in your home and the chaos at your work or what's going on in the, na- in the nation or politics or on the street in, in big cities is spiritual at all. You just think it's natural. You think it's just the consequence of decisions. And some of that is true, but for many of us, we don't start to think in terms of spiritual conflict and spiritual warfare. I want you to think of yourself as a citizen, right? I want you to think in terms of citizenship. If you're an American citizen, you belong to a nation You live in a state, come on, Jesus, the best state in America. If you live here in Tennessee, if you migrated from the West, welcome. (laughs) You belong to a nation, a state. You belong to a kingdom uh, of where you are and where you live. But let me just tell you, as a citizen, you are also a citizen of another kingdom. 
and it's bigger than Clarksville and Tennessee and America and the earth, you belong to the kingdom of Almighty God. That is where Jesus talked about it. He called it the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. That is where Jesus Christ is the king of kings, and we are all not kings. We are all subjects of the kings. The basic makeup of any kingdom is a king and everything subjected to it. Nations over the years have had kingdoms. We just saw the monarchy shift hands for the first time in seven decades in England this weekend. There is for the first time in almost all of our lives a king of England. That has not happened in all of our lives. 70 years that we've had a queen of England. But there is a kingdom there, and, and, and I listened to uh, King Charles, his uh, coronation speech, and he talked about all of his subjects and commoners and lands and stuff. There's a king and everything subjected to it. And the same is true in the kingdom of God. There's a king named Jesus. And everyone who belongs to God through faith in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are subjected to King Jesus. We submit to his leadership. We, we say that he is in authority. We trust him as the king of all things. As subjects and citizens of God's kingdom, listen, you're not just slaves, serfs, and, and like people on the corner of the kingdom. In this kingdom, you are sons and daughters. You have an inheritance with God. You are seen as someone who is highly visible and highly valuable. You're not just some slave in a corridor somewhere. You are a daughter of God. You can claim the rights and privileges of family with God and, friend, and sonship and friendship with God. You claim the promises of God, the attributes of God, the citizenship of the kingdom of heaven. And when it wars against the, the kingdoms of this world, you go, no, 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 I belong to a kingdom where I have authority and I have family and I have sonship with almighty God. Even while we live in this flesh and we live on this planet and we live in this state and in this city, even in a certain apartment or, or home, we belong to another kingdom where God rules. And as with any kingdom, this kingdom too has enemies. Many of you never think in terms of enemies between God's kingdom and other kingdoms, but I'm telling you, Every kingdom is ultimately trying to raise itself up void of God as king. That's what every nation does. That's what every political goal ultimately does is to build another kingdom apart from God's kingdom, which is why we wanna preach the gospel and invite people to know Jesus. But the primary party who hates the kingdom of God, who hates the citizens of the kingdom of God, the sons and daughters of God, is the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, the ruler of this biblical enemy of God, the devil is Satan. Because he hates God, listen to me, he hates you. And sometimes we think the drama and the tension and the pain going on is just benign and just natural causative reactions to things. But maybe Satan attacks you, his demons attack you. Maybe there's some spiritual warfare going on in your life and you need to understand there's an enemy of your life and soul that is constantly trying to pluck you away from being a citizen of the kingdom of God. Let me show you some of what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I love this. The Apostle Paul's teaching the Corinthian church who is full of craziness. I mean, they're going through all kinds of sexual immorality, political immorality. They're going through financial indiscretions. This is a church. The Corinthian church, he's writing this letter to correct all kinds of wackadoo craziness in their life. And then he says to them, on the tail end of talking to them about 
they're giving their bodies away sexually and they're worshiping in cult prostitution and idols. These are the Christians. He goes, do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is given to you from God. Everybody just put your hand somewhere on your body. Your physical body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. Look what he says. You are not your own. This doesn't belong to you now. You're a citizen of a kingdom and the king owns everything. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. The price was the cross of Jesus Christ. Here's what you gotta understand. The Holy Spirit of God himself resides in you. Remember what Pastor Herbert said last week. The Holy Spirit is God. The full Godhead is in the Holy Spirit as well. He's not JV. He's all the power of God. And he resides on the inside of you. You are no longer your own, but we're citizens of God's kingdom. And his spirit resides. Listen, every other kingdom has a throne and a palace in some place. And we think the spirit is just mystically floating around in some other place. Listen to me. The spirit of God resides in you. His throne is your life. His throne is your heart. Jesus taught this over and over again. The disciples are going... Will you establish your kingdom on earth? He goes, no, I'm gonna establish my kingship, my reign, my rule by my presence inside of them. So every place you go, you bring the spirit of God with you. Every time you go to work, every time you come home, when you come to church, when you go to Walmart, when you're getting cussed out by somebody on Wilma Rudolph, everywhere you go, the spirit of God is on the inside of you. And if the throne of this king is in you, guess what? The attacks against the kingdom will come at you as well. The devil hates God. The devil hates you. If we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, then his enemy, God's enemy, which God doesn't have enemy, the devil just hates God, then his enemy is our enemy. Now, when I start talking about the devil... When I start talking about Satan, some of you are already pulling back going, what church did I, I just came for baby dedications, what in the world? <laughs> some of y'all think I'm crazy. Or you're wondering, what sort of church is this? Now let me just tell you something very clearly. You may not believe in the devil, but he certainly believes in you. You may not believe his demons are busy trying to destroy your life and family, but they certainly are glad with you not believing in them. And they're glad to take advantage of the fact that you don't believe in them, and they will continue to overwork you and try to destroy you. I've heard it said the greatest deception of the devil is to get people to think he's not real. So listen to me. Your Bible talks about the devil all over it. The very first book of your Bible introduces the devil. He's called a serpent in this text. Genesis chapter 3, we see the devil tempting Eve with the same kind of temptation that he tempts us with. I want you to remember, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. And the, the devil hates God, so he's going to hate you because God is in you. Are you hearing? You're not God, but you host God. In fact, the concept that Paul is actually talking about here, he's telling people in their sexual immorality, he says, don't you know your body houses God? Would you attach God's presence to sexual sin and prostitution? Of course not. Then you need to think about in context here. You see, every time you're doing sexual immorality, you're doing it with the house of God. That's the context of this verse. You always carry the presence of God in you because you belong to Jesus, because you put your faith in him. Now watch this. In Genesis 3, so Genesis 1 and 2, it's a great story. God created the heavens and the earth. Everything was nothing, then it is. Boom, he said it. 
And it is. That's the Big Bang Theory. Bang. He said it. Bang. There it is. We're not going to argue the details on that because you and I weren't even there. It was all good. It was very good. Perfect. No sin, no brokenness, no death, no disease, nothing. Chapter two, God gives instructions. He goes, you guys frolic around butt naked. These were the days. You know what I'm saying? It's like little kids in your backyard. They just didn't even care. John, I have weird little kids too. You know what I'm saying? Mine are older now. That's not, you know what? Let's just keep going. Not my kids at all, ever, in fact. <sighs> I need to eat. Chapter two, God says, you can do whatever you want. You can eat whatever you want. Just don't eat this one tree's fruit. You can eat of everything else, but of this tree's fruit, you can't eat it. Now, I mean, you know, good parenting gives boundaries. Come on, parents. Good parenting gives boundaries. Y'all need to have screen times and whoopings and timeouts, and y'all need to take stuff from your kids every once because good parenting has boundaries. No, you can't hang out with them. Anyway, so they had one boundary, and honestly, they probably never even thought about it. They just, Adam and Eve got everything else to have and the devil comes along. In verse one of chapter three, it says, now the serpent, this is how he's introduced, which is, which is a, a metaphor of his personality and his way of doing things too, that he's slick, sly, sneaky, right? He's a serpent, he's presenting as a serpent, was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Not like Chip and Joanna Gaines crafty here, people. It's like <laughs> cunning and deceitful. He was crafty, and he's, look at this. He, the serpent, said to the woman, did God really say? That is the number one temptation many of us face still. Did God really say to forgive everybody? Did God really say to be this type of generous? Did God really say you can sleep with whoever you want? As long as you feel like, did God really say to curb your passions? Didn't God just let you do whatever you want. I mean, I, the devil is so slick. He's always challenging us to question what God said. That's why we're doing a series called The Bible Says. Because I believe that our culture is buying into this same lie. Did God really say? I don't want to unpack the whole story of the fall of mankind. It's the reason and the genesis of why we are where we are. But I want you to understand the devil's sneaky. One of his consistent tactics is to tempt you to question what God says. The Bible mentions later Satan or the adversary, particularly the devil approaches God in Job chapter one to tempt Job and try to destroy his life. It's the devil who's credited in 1 Chronicles 21 who tempted David to take a census of the nation of Israel when God said not to. Did God really say not to take? I think you should take a census. It's the devil who the Lord directly rebukes and names him Satan in Zechariah 3. Jesus talked about the devil. Jesus was tempted by the devil. Jesus said to the, that the devil possessed people. Notice in the temptation of Christ in, in Luke chapter four, the devil tempted Jesus in the areas where Jesus had passion, desire, and weakness. After 40 days of fasting, starving for 40 days, the devil's first temptation of Jesus was, hey, if you'll do what I say, I'll feed you. You ever notice you're most often tempted in things you like? Like, I'm never tempted to buy a cat, never. Not one time, ever. I'm never tempted to cheer for Alabama, never. You ever notice you're not ever tempted in things you don't like? Or need, or want? Satan tempted Jesus directly to his face, and the first temptation was, let's get you fed after 40 days of fasting and he's starving. In fact, Luke writes, 
He had just finished 40 days of fasting and he was hungry. The devil appeared and said, if you do what I say, I'll feed you. Jesus said, he, he said people were possessed by the devil. He said leaders were possessed by the devil. Jesus at one time saw a man who was living up in the mountains north of the Sea of Galilee, living like just a wild man, naked with chains around his ankles. He was basically a, 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 like an, an asylum escapee living in the mountains. <clears throat> and Jesus comes upon this man and it says that he had a host of demons living on the inside of him, angels of darkness, angels of the devil living on the inside of him. In fact, when Jesus walked up, he didn't introduce himself, they recognized him. They said, son of God, what are you to do with us? How many of you know the devil always recognizes when Jesus is on the scene? The question is, are you living so full of the spirit that the devil recognizes when God is on the scene in you? Jesus walks up to this man and he casts these demons out of a man and into a herd of pigs. In Luke chapter 10, I love what Jesus said about Satan. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall. I saw it. You think Jesus is a liar? He said it, I saw it. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It was quick, it was fast, it was immediate. It wasn't a big sappy move out where Satan got to pack a U-Haul and say goodbye to all of his friends. He was out. And the, the theological reason for that is his pride, he wanted to be God. He wanted to challenge God's authority, but how many of you know when you fall, you're fallen, you've lost, you're a loser. Jesus said about Satan, he's a loser. He's already lost, he fell. I don't know why we give this guy any props. He's already fallen out of heaven, he's a fallen angel. Part of knowing your enemy is realizing he's already a loser. How many of you know it's a great strategy to win a war when you already know your enemy's a loser? In fact, later in John 8, Jesus rebuking leaders, religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the leaders of the synagogue for their apparent sin, Jesus confronts them. At one point he says to them, he goes, you guys will travel all over the region for days to win one convert to your, your doctrines and then make them twice the son of hell that you are. I don't know about you, but if I'm a pastor and Jesus rolls up and says that to me, I'm quitting the ministry. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to... Make boats, I'm doing something else. But the leaders of the religious establishment, the Jewish religion, are confronted by Jesus so much. And this time he goes for the jugular. Watch what he says in John eight. He goes, you are of, in the Greek text, the Greek terminology, this is of or from, or you've come out from, your father, the devil. Now how would you like to be the leader of the synagogue that day? Now, wait a minute. You know when, when he's like, you guys are just like your father. They're thinking, Father Abraham and many sons, <laughs> right? They're thinking, Father God, yes, tell us, Jesus. He goes, no, you're like your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's will. I think of who he's talking to, the Pharisees and scribes. What did they later do to Jesus? What did they do to all the religious leaders or anyone that opposed them? He says, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. What do they end up doing to Jesus? He said, you're just like your father, the devil. You do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he doesn't stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he is speaking out of his own character. One translation says, when he lies, he's speaking his native tongue. Look at this. There is no truth in him. One of the greatest deceptions we have about the devil is we think he's 90% a liar, 10% knows what he's talking about, or maybe 50-50.
And we prove that when we give in and believe that what he's tempting us with is true. You can have a little bit of that on the side. No one will know. No one will find out. Your wife will never see those texts. Hey, you can take that extra money from your company and they'll never find out. We believe that little bit of deception, we believe that that'll be true for us. Listen to me, the devil never tells the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Lies come from the pit of hell. Lies are never from God. And when we believe the lies of culture, the lies of the world, the lies of the flesh, we are following after the lies of the devil. God never lies to you. He is always truth and in him there's no shadow of turning. Jesus goes on in John 10, he says, he calls him something else, the thief. I mean, think of all the titles Jesus has given this guy. He said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. Jesus counteracts that, he goes, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. If you had to choose theft, death, destruction, life and abundantly, who chooses the first one? Anybody, anybody, Bueller, Bueller? Who chooses life in that abundantly? Overflowing, life to the full. Hey, listen to me. This verse alone shows the conflict. I want you to evaluate, are you experiencing a life of stealing, killing, destroying, devouring, or a life full and overflowing? I'm not a prosperity gospel guy. I'm a life overflowing guy. I'm a life in Jesus guy where my life should have, I, I should live a life that feels good and has life and is abundant. Jesus said, come into me, my burden is easy and light. So many of us are living a life that's hard and heavy because we don't realize it's spiritual warfare and we're giving into the lies of the devil that this is just the way it is. These are the cards I've been dealt. This is the hand I was given. It's because of my upbringing. It's because my daddy was a jerk. I'm a jerk. I'm an addict because my mama was an addict. No, you have been given life abundantly and the lies of the devil tell you something different. The apostle Peter says in 1 Peter, I'm giving you a bunch of verses. I need to write this down. This is your memory verse. I already got these notes, so I don't need them. First Peter 5, 8, Peter says, be sober-minded. This is why I'm so pushy on be sober all the time. Never smoke or drink or inhale anything that cancels out your sobriety even a little bit. Never give in to that stupidity. Listen, be sober-minded and be aware, be watchful, be sharp. Why? Your adversary, notice what he's called now, your adversary. Peter doesn't say God's enemy. He's your adversary. The devil there's his name, your adversary, the devil. Look at this, prowls around like, not as a roaring lion, but like, he's a counterfeit, he's a faker. The real lion is the lion of Judah, his name is Jesus. But Peter said, your adversary, the devil, you need to be sober, you need to be clear, you need to be constantly ready and, and see this clearly because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Do I need any more proof that the devil's a cat? Come on, everybody, right here. <laughs> every, I'm going hard on this cat thing, and I get texts and emails every week, people in the lobby like, you've never met my cat. Right, because I'm sanctified. I don't want to meet your cat. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something about this verse. This is interesting to me. People get so scared when they hear this verse. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. People think roaring lions, man, they're so tough. I think lions, male lions, are the weakest, most cowardly animals. First of all, we call them the king of the jungle and they live in the desert. Anyway, <laughs> think of how lions act. 
They roar, they have a huge roar. Now, I ain't gonna lie, if I'm one-on-one in a cage with a lion, I'm dead. Or the person slower than me is dead first, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Terrible. I got, stuff, I got kids, you know, I gotta do something for my life. But think about a roaring lion. Male lions, they roar, they're big and loud, but they always send others to hunt for them. They send the women to hunt, actually, which means, ladies, come on now. And then, notice if a male lion, you go watch David Attenborough talk, do a video on lions. The male lions only hunt the edges, the weak, and the small. They never approach the big bull in the front of the pack. You go listen to Attenborough. And now the lion slowly walks to the edge and finds an antelope with a broken leg and no eyeballs to see and grabs him up. Fierce lion. <laughs> the lion is actually a weak image here because lions prowl. On this. Hey, listen to me. The devil will always catch you in the shadows, catch you when you're weak, Think about when he tempted Jesus. He was starving after 40 days of fasting. Satan never comes at you when you're full of faith and full of the Spirit because he's a coward. Peter says, be, a, be aware and watchful. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Just these verses. The devil is called Satan. He's described as a certain serpent. He's crafty. He's a murderer. He doesn't speak or stand in truth. He lies constantly. He's the father of lies. He's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy and devour your life, your family, your kids, your money, your health, your boss, your church, your pastor, everything good that God does in you, he's after it. Why? Because he's already lost against God. He fell from heaven. He lost against Jesus when Jesus raised from the dead. He can't defeat the spirit, so his only play is to attack you. You're adversary, the devil is coming after you. Listen, your enemy's not your wife or your spouse or your husband or your boss. Your enemy's not your kids. Your enemy's the devil. And he, he prowls like a lion. He's trying to just flex and scare you with noise and secret shadow games. But God and his people have an enemy, the devil. He's a fallen angel. His mission is to lie, steal, kill, and destroy. And his, listen, he's not another equal to God on the dark side of the force. He's not an equal, powerful, omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful deity just on the dark side. There's God, this big, massive God who lives and dwells in you. And there's a little bitty devil who's distracted trying to pluck God's people out. You have all kinds, and listen, because you're a son and you're a daughter of the most high God, you have authority to kick that fool in the teeth and take authority over him, he's no match, listen, he's no match to the God of the universe and that same God dwells in you so he's actually no match to you. You have nothing to fear, you have nothing to be afraid of. God defeated him, Jesus defeated him, the spirits defeated him and you and I can defeat him too. The only target the devil has is us. So here's what I want you to evaluate now that I've given you this theological background, listen. He is, the spirit's in you, he's crafty, he questions God's word, he, he is a liar at all times, he's a thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he's prowling like a lion trying to scare you and take advantage of you in the weak, weak spots. So let me just ask you this question. I want you to evaluate the pain points of your life. Evaluate where life is hard, where there's fighting in your family, your marriage is coming apart, your kids won't seem to listen. And I want you to think about the pain points of your life the stress at work, the sickness you can't seem to get healed from, the anxiety that's going on in you. Here's the question, here's the spiritual warfare question. Is this 
God's truth and goodness, or does this feel like the devil trying to steal, kill, destroy, and devour me? Let me be specific. Do you really think that the painful fighting going on in your marriage is a gift from God? Because he's trying to teach you something? Or do you think maybe the devil is trying to exploit every little nuance of the weakness between your frail selves as a couple and expose maybe old stuff or temptations you've had or things that you didn't say right or listen to correctly or the spending habit that you just, you're working through. And maybe the devil's exploiting that as an opportunity to kill your marriage and destroy your children. Do you really think your boss, coworker, neighbor, professor, roommate are out to get you? Are you serious? Or maybe do you think the enemy's crafty and working overtime like a serpent through the people in your life to lie to give you thoughts in your mind that will steal your joy and steal your peace. Let me ask you this question. Do you really think the sin that keeps creeping up in your life, that sexual sin, that, that unforgiveness, that jealousy that you stay wrapped up in, the temptations you can't seem to overcome, are those a gift from God because God knows your heart, even though his word says something totally different for you? Or maybe the enemy's working in your weaknesses and tempting your flesh and he's whispering like Adam and Eve saying, does God really say you shouldn't do that? Does God really think that's all that bad? Come, hey, God knows your heart. He's a grace, he'll forgive you. After all, you want this, you desire this, you're born this way. For me, a great litmus test to determine if something I'm going through is spiritual or not. Some things we blame on the, God, on the devil and it's just not. If you lock your keys in your car, that ain't spiritual, you're a dummy. You know, like you just <laughs> locked your keys in your car. If your copier breaks down at work, don't blame the devil, call the Xerox guy and get your toner replaced. But this is a great litmus test for you to be objective. Why in the world does it seem like every way I go, it's hard and heavy, not easy and light, it's steal, kill, destroy, and devour, and lies, and deception, and I'm confused, and none of this stuff makes sense to me, versus God's not the author of confusion, but of peace, and I don't, I'm not walking in the life overflowing. Why? This is the litmus test for you. The devil hates you because you love God and he's gonna come at you to try to steal, kill, and destroy. You have an enemy. He hates your guts and he hates God's guts. And he's already lost those fights, so he's coming after the sons of God and the daughters of God. He hates that you're giving more. He hates that you're getting baptized next week. He hates that you're feeding the hungry. He hates that you're serving in your church. He hates that you're trying to raise your kids to know God and confess your sins and be in a small group. He hates that you wanna honor God in your singleness with purity and in your relationships, with fidelity. He hates God and he hates you. But here's what I wanna encourage you with. We have victory. That victory's already been granted to you. It's already been given. You ever, get, you ever come to a fight with a, like a bigger partner? Like I remember that scene of the movie, I can't remember the name of it, with, with The Rock and Kevin Hart. And they're in a, a Kevin Hart gets smack talked to at like a restaurant or something like this. And then The Rock stands up behind him. And all of a sudden, Kevin Hart just didn't care anymore. It's like, I got, what you gonna do to me, you know? It's one of those moments. And let me tell you something, because you're a son and daughter and a child of God, you've already got the victory. Go back to that verse I said in Luke chapter 10. I'm about to sweaty brow, old flat-footed three-piece suit kind of preach right now. Y'all better get with me, because I believe the power of God and the work of God and the authority of God and the victory of the believer. You gotta believe it for yourself, though. Remember what I showed you in Luke 10? Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then the very next thing he says, behold, I have given you all authority. 
to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. He may have fallen from heaven, but he ain't done trying to corrupt and destroy earth. But you and I have authority over the devil, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Not only did he lose heaven, and not only did he lose with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but he loses with us, especially as we stand against him and remind him that he's a defeated foe and he has no authority in our lives. Jesus himself said it over and over again. We've been given God's authority. James, the brother of Jesus, writes it this way. He gives us some directions on how to stand in authority. He says in James 4, 7, submit yourselves to God. And then he says, resist the devil. Notice you are the subject in this sentence. You submit yourself to God. You can't just have a pastor who's a Christian. You can't just have a spouse who's a Christian. You have to say, God, I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I serve you. I submit to you. I'm all yours today. And then resist the devil. That means look the devil in the face, look temptation in the face, look our culture in the face and say, no, I don't believe what that says. I believe what God says. I'm not giving in to my flesh. I'm not gonna let the devil destroy my kids. I'm not gonna let the devil destroy my family. I resist that in the name of Jesus. I won't give in to my flesh. I won't give in to my temptations. I'm not gonna just be my best self. I won't satisfy my worldly cravings. I'm not who the world says I am. I'm not in my feelings say that I am. I won't do what the devil's tempting. My pastor in Knoxville used to say, I resist you, you foul devil. You have no authority and no place in my life. We need to learn to stand against the schemes and resist the devil. Bind the devil off your children. Bind the devil off your house. Go to work early and bind the devil off your office building. Get your hands off my life, devil. You ain't gonna win. You've already lost. I don't know what you're trying to prove here. Look what he says, submit to God, resist the devil, here's the promise, and he will leave. He will flee from you. Every time you're spun up in temptation, you got something tempting you, you're tempted to look at this thing, go to that thing, get, in, you know, get involved with that person, you just need to stand up and say, I resist the devil in Jesus' name. I resist the devil in Jesus' name. Quote it so much until you blew in the face. I resist the devil in Jesus' name. I submit to God. I resist the devil in Jesus' name. Then look what he says. Draw near to God. I mean, that's bookends of God, right? Submit to God, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. I'm gonna tell you someplace the devil never wants to fight is when you and God are super close. You draw near to God and he'll draw near to you, and the devil's like, I can't mess with them people, man. They're too close to God. They know what's up. I'm a loser, I've lost it all, I have no authority in their lives. You draw near to God. Are y'all hearing me today? Resist the devil means stay away from his schemes and garbage, stay away from worldliness, from sexual immorality, from witchcraft, the occult palm readers and tarot card, that stuff's gross, stay away from that stuff. Quit trying to over-spiritualize and get into dark arts and mystic garbage, get into the word of God, follow the spirit of God, don't be drunk on wine, be full of the spirit. Come on guys, give your life completely to God, let your body be the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's part of resisting the devil, amen. You resist him, he will flee from you. Here's the final thought, get ready. Get ready for battle, it's coming. There's some people think, well that ain't gonna happen to me. Let me tell you something somebody told me one time. If the devil's not after you, you must not be a threat to him. If the devil's not attacking you either, you don't believe in him or you pose no threat to the kingdom of darkness. But if you are a person that says, man, God, use me however you want, I'm all into the glory of God, get ready for battle, it's coming. Your spouse is not your enemy. The devil is your enemy. Your kids are not your enemy. The devil hates your family. Your sexual impulses aren't your enemy. The devil hates that for you, that you long for purity. The government's not your enemy. The devil hates harmony among people and nations. 
That person who offended you and cut you off driving to church this morning, right in front of Popeyes, they are not your enemy. (laughs) The devil hates the thought that you would extend the same forgiveness to others that God extended to you. My wife, she's really good at saying this, when we're fighting because she won't listen to me. (laughs) We'll get into a fight and an argument. Man, we fight like anybody else. And she'll get to a point, usually one of us, more her than me, but she'll get to a point where she'll go, hey, I am not your enemy, Mike. Satan hates you and he hates me and he hates what God's doing in our lives and we need to take authority. I'm like, you pray if you want, but I'm trying to win an argument here. (laughs) It's a true story in our house, man. That's how we roll. And she's literally walked away and said, I'm going to pray. I'm like, yeah, go on ahead, go on, go on. Right? So say, I'm not your enemy, Mike. The devil's our enemy, and we need to pray. Let me tell you something. Your kid's acting a fool all the time. Your kid's drifting from God. That's a spiritual attack on your family. Your boss not getting along with you. You feeling attacked at work. Your neighbors and you just always not get. That's an enemy. That's a spiritual attack, and you have victory, so claim it. Stand in it. Walk in it in the name of Jesus. Paul says this finally. Be strong in the Lord. Some of us are just trying to be strong in our own might, in our own logic and reasoning. We wanna be strong in our Fox News and CNN quotes. How about we be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might? Man, if we could go 100 years from now and read the stuff that we're focusing on, I think we'd be so embarrassed. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Are you kidding me? These things aren't just natural. He said, we wrestle against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness. We still live with darkness and sin in this world. Even though we're children of God, we still live with this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil that's in the heavenly places, in the spirit world. Hello? This is your Bible, it says this. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you would be able to stand in an evil day Stand up. And he said, having done everything you can, stand firm. Then he gives us our armor. Soldiers, you understand the value of good armor. He says, put on first the belt of truth. How many of you know that keeps your pants on when you're running? That's good. But it also keeps you ready and agile and active, and there's weapons there on your belt. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's chest piece, protect your heart. And also on a breastplate, is your name and your identity of the nation you serve. And you say, I I stand with the kingdom of God. And the breastplate is one of righteousness that says, I'm righteous because Christ has made me righteous, not because of anything that I've done and nothing you can do can make me unrighteous, devil. But I'm the righteousness of God. I don't have to give into that temptation because righteousness flows through me. Put on the shoes prepared with the gospel of peace. I love the idea that everywhere the person of God walks should be a place of peace. And when you go to work, you bring the peace of God with you. You ever walk into a place and just settle the room? That's because the peace of God resides in you. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. This is how we deflect attacks. This is, he says, the shield of faith. How's our faith built? Romans 10, 17, building up your faith in the word. Jude 1, 20 says, build up your faith in prayer. That's why we read the word and pray. So that when the devil tries to attack you and lie to you and tell you stuff, you go, no, 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 bro. The Bible says, God says, no, no, you can't lie to me, devil. Everything you say is a lie, but I got the shield of faith to deflect the darts and the attacks of the enemy. 
put on the helmet of salvation. Man, I am so saved. I know it. I have a no-so faith in Jesus Christ. I am born again. I'm a son of God. I don't live like this. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a part of God's kingdom. I'm an inheritance uh, earner of God's heavens. Man, I'm saved forever. I don't live like that. I used to be. I'm not who my grandpappy was. I'm not what my upbringing says. I'm not what my feelings feel. I'm saved. I'm different. I'm sanctified, set apart by God himself. I know it. I believe it. And then he said, picking up the sword of the Spirit, the AR-15 of the Spirit, come on Jesus, which is the word. This is our weapon. It is written, devil. It is written, honey. It is written, kids. It is written. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Don't you love that he gives us this weapon of prayer? Come on, everybody, stand to your feet and let's pray together. You have victory today, church. The Bible says the devil is real. The Bible also says he's defeated, he's under your feet, and you and I have authority over him. So walk in victory, walk in authority. You win. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Come on, online, join us in this prayer. Would you open your hands to the Lord? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the victory we have in Jesus. We thank you that we have authority over the devil and all the schemes of the enemy. We rebuke and bind that in Jesus' name. God, we stand as sons and daughters full of the full of the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of us. Our body is the temple place of God Almighty, and we get to stand against the schemes of the devil. He can try to attack us, take us down, discourage us, devour us, destroy us, steal us, kill us, and whatever, but he has no authority, and we stand in our authority as sons and daughters of God, full of the Spirit, resisting the attack of the enemy in Jesus' name. Lord, may it be our, our dedicated uh, prayer every day this week that we will stand for God, walk in peace with the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, and in prayer, Lord God, that we would recognize the attacks of the enemy on our lives and we would stand and walk in victory every day in Jesus' name. Lord, would you forgive us? Come on, pray this with me. God, forgive me for trying to lead my whole life, for trying to have it my own way, to defend myself. Say, God, I throw myself on the mercies of God. I submit to Jesus as the Lord of my whole life. I believe he died for me and raised from the dead so that I can live forever. <clears throat> Say, God, I'm all in. I have victory. I have authority over all the schemes of that foul devil. He's a loser and I'm a winner. Come on, say it again. He's a loser and I'm a winner in my family, in my job, in my health, in my home, in Jesus' name. To God be the glory. Come on, let's celebrate today and worship the Lord. Amen.